Welcome to Inside Whitehall with me, James Starkey. And me, Jonathan Gullis. Well, today we're going to do local elections. It's going to dominate, I would imagine, political discussion for the next uh, couple of weeks. And we're going to kind of do a reverse on uh, our format, which is we're going to do a scene setter today, Jonathan. Yep. About what, what are local elections, why should people vote in them, all this kind of stuff. And then we're going to have a guest later in the week, a councillor who's out there actually fighting the elections and go into a little bit more detail. Feedback on the ground. That's what we want to hear. Exactly. We're going to be, you know, going as intrepid journalists should, you know, we're going to be going out, finding out what's really going on on the ground. Watch out the lobby. James and Jonathan, the investigative journalists coming your way. Exactly. So to start with, the local elections that are about to be fought, yep. uh, we have different numbers of seats, different yep. times. The last time these seats were fought was when? So the last time these seats were fought was in 2019. So four years on, uh, we're back here again. And like you said, in 2019, the world was a very different place. In May 2019, at that time, the Conservatives had Theresa May as their leader. Labour had Jeremy Corbyn and the Liberal Democrats had Vince Cable. So we are literally in a very different world. In fact, we're now, what, uh, three Prime Ministers on from Theresa May? for the Conservatives, uh, and obviously Labour's now got Keir Starmer, who's done the rebranding, and Ed Davies now obviously leader of the Liberal Democrats. So I think it's quite interesting from that point of view that these three leaders will ultimately have these results used in debates, in discussions, in interviews, uh, in media reviews about whether or not they are performing at the level that they need to in order to gain power, or in the Liberal Democrats' case, you know, bring back the fight back, as it were. So quick question, as an MP... Uh, someone that's fought elections, how much of a bearing do local elections genuinely have? Because one of the things that was explained yeah. to me a while ago is actually they are quite important. And if parties like Reform, uh, you know, UKIP before, are going to make headway, they kind of need to do what the Lib... This is, is, is it fair to say, this is a kind of Lib Dems modus operandi. Before they get their MP in, they go in and they get a load of councillors in. The Lib Dems are well known for being excellent campaigners at local elections. And actually one of the others I think that's uh, coming up now that's probably learned a lot of those uh, tricks is actually the Green Party. Local election after local election, they seem to be gaining more and more councillors. But ultimately, the Conservative Party is very much the party that dominates local government in terms of how many councillors they have, how many councils that they run. They are by far the largest party across uh, England, as well as maybe other parts of the United Kingdom, but mostly England, where they dominate. And I mean, the fact is, on the 4th of May this year, we're going to have 8,000 councillors or, or seats up for election across 230 councils in England. So it's a lot of people up for election. And because of the size of that, this is probably the closest you're going to get to some sort, although no, not easy to be accurate, of opinion poll inaction. Mm. So we know that in recent times, we've seen We've hearing the uh, the narrative that the opinion polls are slowly, still very slowly, narrowing, and Rishi Sunak is slowly making ground on Keir Starmer. We're now down in the teens, as we but opposed this, to the twenty plus. So this will be a big chance to see how how that's impacted. But it's still the case that if there's an election tomorrow morning, Labour would win the election. I think that's fair to say. Yeah, yeah, I think that's absolutely fair to say. But this is a big test. You could say for the Conservatives with Rishi Sunak, can he? hold in the blue wall and the red wall, that coalition of voters that came together in 2019. Can Keir Starmer make breakthrough in the red wall that he's ultimately going to need in order to become Prime Minister? And the Liberal Democrats are 100% focused on the idea of 
you know, they've had some really uh, strong results in recent by-elections and in other local elections. We know in some of those parliamentary by-elections, they've won convincingly in what were 20,000 plus majority conservative seats. We will now find out, was it just a protest vote at a moment in time? Or have those Liberal Democrats really tapped into the blue wall, traditional Shire Tory base and started making headway, which of course, I think is so easy for people to forget. The Liberal Democrats used to have over 50 MPs. So, you know, this is a party that's very much still, you know, recovering after the coalition years, after 2015. And I think Ed Davey will see this as a massive opportunity. We're used to general elections, which is this big event every three, four, five years. And with the locals, because we've got this, we're we're doing different seats and they happened at different times. Uh, It's important to remember exactly what happened last time. So last time... The Conservatives, it was May was Prime Minister. I mean, the thing that you pointed yep. out to me was quite quite surprising. So who was the leader of the Tories? May? Theresa May. Labour? Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn. And Lib Dems? Vince Cable. So we've got three new leaders. Uh, the, Tor- the Tories have been for a few in that time. But we've got three new leaders since then. The Tories took a battering last time. So over a, th- a 1,300 seats lost, which is ginormous. I mean, I think it's fair to say that that was the signal of the end of Theresa May. The, mm. There was lots of other things, of course, in the background, particularly the Brexit wranglings with in her own parliamentary party before the 2019 general election, of course. But ultimately, the party faithful, this was breaking point. Mm. And the members, I think, st- you know, councillors who have worked really hard and have suffered because of the national brand were outrightly outraged that they lost because of what was going on in Westminster, which is the challenge for Rishi Sunak, because... He's walked into a situation where he's trying to repair the brand, but of course, he's obviously, uh, and but of course, the public are, you know, after those last six months of 2022, not overly impressed. I think the opinion polls make that perfectly clear. That's me trying to put it as politely as, and softly as possible, because of course, I'm going to try and cushion my own blow there. But ultimately, that's the challenge now for Rishi. How many local councillors will fall victim to what's been going on in Westminster with the Conservative Parliamentary Party? One thing I always think is interesting about local is is that MPs, so most MPs will go back to their patches and they will be out campaigning. And one thing I think you do see, and we definitely saw that with 19, to me it wasn't just the result. It was the fact that Conservative MPs went round, spent a lot of time with their membership, their local association. And on the doorsteps. And we're seeing at the moment what happens when you fall out with your local association. There's been MPs who have, we won't necessarily go into that, but there's been MPs who have fighting to, to be readopted? In fact, to fight very hard to be readopted, and also knock on doors. So, they, so I know you're out most weekends. Most MPs are, but you're out in a big way during local. So you're really getting a feedback of you're perhaps going down roads you don't normally go down. You're going down roads you know are quite safe, and they maybe tell you actually you're not safe here. When we might not vote for you the next election. Is that some of the stuff that goes on for MPs at the moment? Oh, it's crazily busy. I mean, I'm averaging about 25,000, 30,000 steps a day when I'm back in the patch and pretty much Thursdays, half a day Friday, and then one day at the weekend. I'm only because I would do both day weekend, but I've got two young children and uh, my partner reminds me that, you know, <laughs> she's not uh, she's not to just be dealing with potty training by herself. So I think that, you know, what we're what I'm seeing on doors is, yes, that constant interaction. You're going into wards that you would like to think you're going to hold, you're testing that, you're going towards that you would assume your opponents or your most likely opponent's going to win, just testing the weather there. And then obviously, most importantly, you're trying to figure out where are my marginal wards, like where are the wards that we need to spend the majority of our time in, where it's literally going to be 
50-50. And I mean, in the local elections last year, to give you an example, in Newcastle underlying borough, which I do represent part of with Aaron Bell and Bill Cash, uh, one of the awards in Aaron Bell's seat, the name of the winner had to be drawn out of a hat by the returning officer. And Why? Because they were tied, the Labour and the Conservative candidate were tied on the vote. After hmm. recount, after recount, they had both exactly the same number. So the returning officer... Is that democracy? <laughs> ...had to get... A, well, it's, it's the backup. Sometimes it's flip of a coin. Sometimes it's the pulling of straws. But that is how this is done when they have to try real? and figure out... This is real. This happens. Genuinely, last year, in uh, Red Street, in Newcastle-under-Lyme, the returning officer had a hat held up high. He had to lean up as if he was trying to dunk a basketball. There was two names in there with two different bits of paper, of course. He pulled one out, and whichever one pulled out, that was declared as an extra vote which therefore gave that person the win. It would, imagine the drama if we could have that for the next Prime Minister. You know, the next election is dead tight. It's my worst and nightmare, James. Speaker, I literally sweat about it. Lindsay Hall has to hold up a hat <laughs> uh, as his Deputy Speaker, Nigel Evans, reaches in to decide which one of the two are going to be Prime Minister. That is drama. There would be arguments about who gets to pull the name out of the hat. And of course, yeah. there'll be arguments about the papers, obvious, like what's the weight arc, can you imagine? It's, well, with MPs, it'd have to be on vellum as well. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob Rees-Mogg would insist. Would insist. Would exactly. insist. But no, like, so that's the level that we're talking about. I mean, I remember when I campaigned for the locals in Redditch when I was supporting as a parliamentary uh, approved candidate, as we've talked about in episode one, um, my friend Mike Rouse, he won by one vote. Wow. One vote. So this is the level of, you know, democracy that we're at. And actually one of the most challenging things about this, because you've made the comparison with the general, is that a general election turnout we know in most parts, or most, I think is over 60% across the country, it's between 25 and 30% in local elections. Right. So you're dealing with, even though everyone's about, eligible to vote... It's close to half of a general. Close to half of a general actually turning out. So now you're trying to motivate people to go out and vote. Mm. So there we've got a bit of context. Well, we should say one more thing. Go. Because Labour's got an interesting election on their hands as well. Yeah. Because actually, despite all the infighting with the Conservative Party nationally at the time under Theresa May, mm. Labour actually lost in total 84 seats. Right. So they went backwards, which was against what everyone thought because the Tory infighting was so severe, everyone just assumed that Labour and all the other parties would pick up. So actually, a lot of people may have been shocked by the December 2019 general election result, but clearly... You could probably point back to those May local elections in that same year and say, actually, in hindsight, in hindsight, there was a problem. And if I give you an example, and I use this because I'm I was there on the ground, Stoke on Trent, you know, seventy three percent leave in in Stoke North, over nearly seventy percent across the city. Theresa May obviously was not popular on tour steps there mm. at the time. Um, the Conservatives had seven councillors at that time. They were going to the election and they ended up finishing the night gaining councillors and going up to 15 their highest ever number on record and actually labor had 16 by the end of the night so a council that everyone would have assumed would the conservatives wouldn't have a chance in they actually started gaining in so it's quite interesting that even you can see therefore there will be some councils depending on their local record depending on the quality of their campaign and maybe depending on the the type of issues that voters are motivated by will ultimately uh, be interested in but the last thing as well is to say yeah the um, the in, the other big winner in 2019 were independents, people who were running as independents, not affiliated to any political party. And Professor John Curtis, Sir uh, Professor Sir or Sir Professor, I don't know which way you say it now. <laughs> Sir John, uh, Sir Professor John Curtis said um, at that time that that was because there was complete disillusionment with the party political system as it was. That all major parties, because of all the Brexit infighting, were just seen as you know 
uh, a pain in the backside and people just wanted someone non-political so that's a bit of that's a bit of scene setting for people so and uh, while, while we're on that though um just one quick question you mentioned 19 what was going on nationally yeah people were unhappy like let's say in stoke but people were unhappy generally with, yeah even if they weren't pro or anti-brexit particularly they weren't on the edges it was all they were hearing on the news i think they were fed up for three years of, fed up of of, no, of nothing actually moving a lot on, of anger happening. Uh, which is probably why the get Brexit done, just, you know, let's get something done, probably worked in the end. Uh, how much do people vote on the local issue? Was that a normal local election? Or is it the case that are people now, when you knock on a door now, are they saying, well, you know, they need to sort out cost of living big country issues? It does. Or are they saying the classic sort out my potholes? Yeah, no, it does, it does vary. I think it does vary. I think that there'll be an argument here between MPs and councillors. Right. And improbably in part, and there'll be, I'm sure, different strategists in different local areas saying that they know the right answer. I personally find that I think overall the National Party still probably dominates a lot of thinking. People are becoming more and more aligned to a, you know, voting on a political party basis. But I will say this, on certain areas in my patch that I've been out where we've had councillors elected uh, for, well, coming up to now like five plus years, if they've been out and about working hard, if they're proactive and acting effectively as an MP on a mini scale, if they're seen doing what they need to do, and this applies to Labour people, this applies to the Jenny who ran, I ran against, as I told you, who thrashed me in Stratford oh, yeah. West in, uh, in uh, 2015 or 2016, whenever it was. Um, you know, that name recognition is priceless. And I know that, for example, in some wards, I'm fairly confident and I'm could probably going to regret saying this, but I'm fairly <laughs> confident that there's. I can think of at least definitely one, two councillors that will hold because they are popular with the local people because they're regularly out and about. They're regularly responding to what comes in their in-tray. They're regularly uh, dealing with things. And I think, and I can also say the same for certain opposition. So actually in Stoke, for example, there's probably 20 out of 44 council wards that are actually up for grabs. I'd say the rest of them, I can pretty much guarantee the result. To anybody, wh whichever party they, they're affiliated to, wherever they are in the country, 70% of the people who are eligible to vote would not go out to vote. Yeah, turnout would be very low. Turnout would be low. If you were speaking to some of those 70% and they were like, this, this is pointless, whatever the reason, what is the reason you would give them to go out and vote and not, on non-party political grounds? No, of course. So I think, the, I think it's important to understand for people that your local council are probably the ones that run most of the things that you day-to-day -day see impacting your lives, feel uh, impacting your lives. They are the ones that resurface your roads and pavements. They're the ones that fix the potholes. They're the ones that deal with street lighting. They're the ones who collect your uh, rubbish, recycling, garden waste. They're the ones that will approve planning permission for new houses. They're the ones that will have some money to invest in sites in their local area to try and create jobs or create homes, as I said earlier, they're the ones that will um, have a, a local strategy. So they'll have a plan working with your local like chambers of commerce or uh, other organizations and bodies that, you know, try to say for our local area, this is what we want. This is what we attract. And they go out across not just the country, they'll go across the world in some cases to promote themselves. And I think we see that you see that much more probably with mayors, Sadiq Khan, uh, Dan Jarvis, Ben Houchen, Andy Street uh, and others. They go abroad but for me whereas in local councillors that happens as well so people are going to feel that, like these people are going to decide those micro things that definitely affect that, everyday that's all life fine but for me where i live in south london there might be certain things that i'd like to see done or not done whatever but 
it's not like an MP, like when we come to the next election, I can quickly have a look at my MP. I've got one other person to look for the Conservatives because we've got a Labour MP or Lib Dem, whoever the challenger is. I can have a quick look at that that person. You know, what's their background? What did yeah. they do before? Probably, I mean, people clean it up now, but at least see roughly what they've said on social media, but have a look at their Twitter or whatever and think, does this look like a person I want to vote for? Have a broad comparison. The manifestos are quite straightforward. You know, the Tories have got five points at the moment. Labour have got a green deal. Where do I want to, where do I want to go? It's, it's relatively straightforward. Yeah. If I looked at my local council, like, I, you know, I'd be like, well, who runs it? Then there's a load of people. I don't know anything about them. There's, you know, there's going to be one name on a bit of paper, a leaflet that you might glance at. No one's knocked on my door to canvas me. But if that means I'm a lost cause, vote-wise. I Not, ju- not I, just vote-wise. Not just vote-wise. I find sympathy with the public who are like, this is all quite a complex, opaque system. And I'm not sure. You, your point was, points are all valid. There's loads of issues that closer councils deal with that are really, really important to me. So, you know, where the park that I take my kids to, some of the, you know, schooling is touched on. Leisure centres. Leisure centres, transport, all this kind of stuff. Yes, I would like to see that improve. There's a balance with tax. That's really important to me. But in terms of the vote I make locally, it's not clear to me how that impacts that. No, I get that. So, look, first of all, we will, we will all pay something called council tax. Your council tax goes into your local council and that money will help fund local services. And so whether that be cutting the grasses in the park, whether that be collecting your bins and how regularly they can do that, whether that's about resurfacing your roads, how much can they do? Of course, central government will send in certain pots of money. There's formulas in place. So every budget, certain money goes so up. About to the, well, f- 55% of budget for a council will come from the central government, right? I, I don't know the exact percentages, but it will be, yeah. Significant it'll, amount. It'll be a significant amount. But of course, you know, especially in these times with additional pressures, particularly around the cost of living, councils have had to go above and beyond and go further than they ever have before as well as deliver other programs such as the holiday activity food program uh household support funds you know these are big pots of money that councils are responsible for to try and deliver and make sure it's impactful in terms of your question like how do i know so councils or political parties normally will have a manifesto in kind uh launched about if they run the council this is what they would do now, I think it's probably harder to get natural media attention. One, we've got 230 councils. No national newspaper can run every manifesto for every political party in all those councils. So your local paper, of course, again, is also under pressure because that's a lot of different political parties in some cases. You've also got independents who might be you know, not affiliated to anyone else. They are only running in one ward. So why would they have a whole manifesto? They're openly saying, I'm not going to run the council. Mm. I'm just going to be the local champion in this local ward and make sure that I vote with my conscience rather than along party lines. So I think that that's why it becomes a little bit more complicated. And so ultimately what I've seen is, and what now happens in most cases is the local paper, for example, get in touch with the candidates in each ward and they'll have like an article where they'll say, here's 150 words from each of your candidates in X ward as a way of allowing those people Mm. to try and maximize their voice. They'll obviously leaflets, as you say, going through the door, social media posts that will be going on community pages or on, candidates and councils own facebook pages as well so you know ultimately these will this is this is the challenge uh, and this is why i would go back to my point i made earlier if you are a proactive hard-working local councillor and you're out and about regularly and you treat it as if you are an mp but albeit on a smaller scale that you can transcend party brand because ultimately you're seen as that local champion you're out and about and people are physically seeing 
change in the area because when they report a pothole to you, it gets filled in. When people say that they want the bus stop tidying up, they see it happen. Sometimes it may take longer than other, you know, than people want, but those type of things matter. And in other cases, some councillors can be absolutely massive in terms of bringing about change for a local area. So whether it be a leisure centre that closed down and a local councillor will campaign to have it refurbished and reopened, if they deliver that, and that's an important local issue, that's massive. And local people do recognise that. And I think you see that for political parties of all colours, that those councillors who go above and beyond, who work with whichever leadership they've got to work with, whether they're on the same political party or not, if they can deliver, then I think no matter what, that people start to feel they have like some accountability, some transparency, and someone who actually represents them on a day-to-day basis. But look, it's a really hard challenge to cut through because I think there's just also the challenge of a general apathy, particularly at the moment with politics in general. And you know this, James, you've, you've seen, you know, you're a former uh, uh, pollster type person, you know, you've worked in that area. You've seen what voters are thinking at the moment. You've read the focus groups. They're just not really that enthused right now with politics in general, are they? No, I think, I think most people, you can see it in focus groups at the moment. Most people are kind of checked out. And they're basically saying for the last year, it was, you know, no offence, but scandal after scandal. Drama after drama. Drama after drama. I mean, we had three prime ministers in the space of 12 months, you know, which most, you know, members of the public are just like, this is crazy. So they've essentially said, you go on and crack on and do what you need to do. Come back to us in 18 months when there's a general election and then we'll tell you what we think. I think that's where a significant part of the public are. So I do think it's a big, it's a difficult challenge for those fighting council elections to get people to engage, I suspect. But so let's dig in a little bit about how the councils work. I mean, you've been a councillor. Yeah. I was interested to see when a friend of mine became, they told me they were a cabinet minister in a council. I didn't didn't realise councils had cabinets. Yes, they do. So... Which are like politically appointed by the group leader who is also de facto the leader of the council. And that person will be in charge of that council, either because they have the majority of councillors or there may be, and this actually happens in a lot of cases, lots of coalition deals agreed between different organisations, different political parties in order to councils to be able to run, to get the numbers that you need to have a majority vote. Let's go through some, some terminology that we might see in the next two weeks. Yeah. What we will definitely see somewhere in the country, maybe Stoke, maybe somewhere else, is no overall control. No overall control. So that means no party has a majority. Yep. So there's a coalition. So there will be... And someone has to run that council. So how, what happens? That when there's no overall control, what happens? It tends to be a bit like we saw with the 2010 general election. The largest party tends to get first crack at trying to pull together some sort of coalition or supply and confidence agreement. And then if that can be agreed, and normally terms are written up as well, then ultimately that will happen. Now, sometimes that will be simply... X party is the largest, so obviously they'll be the leader of the council, but the leader of X group, a bit like Nick Clegg did, you become the deputy leader of the council. Right. And now, because what's important to understand is that these leaders, deputy leaders, cabinet members, they get additional money for their being a council. You get a top up on top for the extra responsibility that they have. So you've got jobs with kudos and obviously extra money. That's a bargaining chip. And they think if we deliver some stuff, we may be able to win the next one or do better than we did exactly, now. Exactly, exactly. They so, think that if it goes well, even if you're the minority party, and by the way, to use an example, Stoke-on-Trent Conservatives and twenty going into 2019 local elections were the minority in a coalition agreement with the what is known as the city independents. Right. Are they kind of like a party? 
They're that, a political party, but they they are they say they're independent, so they're not. But if I'm in Stoke, I know who they are. They you will know who they are. Yeah, yeah, they're not kind of independent. independent. No, no, no. So like we were. So Abby, who is the Conservative group leader, she was the deputy leader of the council post the 2019 general election. She overtook the seat of independence with the Conservative Party, and they went into a, another coalition agreement. But this time, Abby became leader, and and James. So deputy leader. Th- there's clearly times when all parties can do deals with independence because by their nature, the independents will have different views. Yeah. What about, does it reflect a national level? So if there's a hung parliament in the next election, it, I would say it's almost certain that no party would do a deal with the Tories. So the Tories need a straight majority to win the next general election. Whereas if the, if Lib Dems did incredibly well, <clears throat> or if Labour tracked current opinions polls but didn't quite get through, they would do a deal with each other. Is that reflected locally? Like, is there a case ever where the Labour Party would be the second or the Tory party would be the second to the Labour Party? Would that never happen? I think or? there are some. I don't know any examples on my head, but I would suspect that depend- it all comes down to how many... Ca- I think there are some council-style rainbow coalitions. I think you've literally got three or four political parties, you know, all joining together in order to run the council. So there's a bit more working together at local level. It's probably a bit more... Lo- and I think there has to be. Because, for example, in some wards, council wards, and I use the Red Street example... Labour have got one councillor and the Conservatives now through the draw of the hat have got the other one. So two councillors, but two different political parties. Right. But of course, they're going to be asked to support or back up or help out on the same issues in some cases. Now, one might want to try and outwork the other one to say, oh, if you'd had two Labour, like, look how much we could have done, uh, for instance. But, But otherwise, like with housing and planning, you can work together. So I think there is a lot more like work, joint working, mm. a lot less of that classic them versus us as we're now seeing even more in Westminster than probably we have in the last, you know, 50 years. I think you could argue, I personally would argue since the Brexit referendum, we're now seeing a lot much more them versus us. And I think you are right. I think there will be some areas of the country where the Liberal Democrats or Labour, but probably the Liberal Democrats, your Greens, will think the Conservatives nationally have been in power for a long time. We know that national polling shows that they're in a, you know, weak spot why would we affiliate ourselves when we come back in 12 to 18 months' time and we want to elect our person mm. as the next Member of Parliament? So I think that you can't... And then actually there are some seats where, you know, and it's caused a bit of controversy, but there are some councils where there appears to have been packs that have been made and Labour or Lib Dems are not standing against what is a Conservative administration, so try and leverage votes. I mean, to back that up, because I understand listeners will go, well, you know, you would say that. Conservatives are running candidates in 93% of all seats mm. in these local elections on the Thursday, the 4th of May. Labour are standing in 77%. Lib Dems are standing in 59 and Greens in 41% and Reform in 6%. But Greens in Reform will be a little bit about money as well. It'll be about money, but I would say that the key ones there is your Lib Dems. Lib Dems are really, you know, not, but the smaller parties, they will struggle to get candidates and the finances to support them in all. Yeah, but harder, places. but like you can always find, I mean, the rules have recently changed. So whereas you used to need 10 signatures, now you just need two of right. voters in that. You need 10 registered voters in that district, in that ward, to sign your nomination papers. And now there's no there's no money. You don't need to put a deposit down, for example. Okay. So let's go back to the council. So then we've got the council. So we've got, we've got, we've had no other control or we've got our winning party. Yeah. So you've got the council leader. They, yeah. will be, they have to be a councillor? Yeah. So the leader of the council is always a democratically elected councillor. Is that is that individual? Yes, they they can wield the majority, I guess, like the prime minister can. Yeah. Is that individual powerful in other ways, in the similar way to the prime minister? Do they have other powers other than being able to try to get their 
they're crude. Well, they're running. Want. They're running the the council agenda, and they are elected internally by their own party. So there are elections within each political party of who's the group leader, who will be the group whip. I mean, there's whips in councils okay. as well. You know who will be in the cabinet, and then the cabinet is politically appointed by the leader of that council. The leader appoints the council. The leader the appoints cabinet. the cabinet. But obviously, then the leader will work with what is we normally know as the chief executive of the council, which is effectively your head civil servant. Yeah, let's get to the chief exec in a second. So we've got the cabinet would reflect the key areas of responsibility that a council has. Yeah, so you'll have one on like education and children and care. That will be one portfolio. I mean, again, councils may divvy this up differently. One may be responsible for housing, one for waste management and recycling, um, one for sport, leisure and culture. It, it, it the portfolio design is entirely un, in the gift of the, again the leader, but normally there would normally you'd have like you wouldn't normally have maybe five to seven depending on the size of your local authority in the ca- uh, appointed cabinet members. And did you ever hold a cabinet position? No, no. But so when you're, I've got my. Let's say I'm responsible for roads. Yeah. Right. So big issue in local elections inevitably is potholes. Potholes. So if I'm the cabinet member for roads, transport, whatever that comes under, in any part of the country, this you know, have a mythical place. Can I fill all the pot like why don't the potholes get fixed? Which is what everyone listening now is saying. So I assume most people thanks who for, respond- thanks for thanks for, thanks for sending, you know, talk about a hospital or, pass. Or, or whatever it is. Why can't the potholes if, get fixed? If, if a response- large part of it will be funding. It'll okay. be about having the money to do it. Now, there will be arguments about whether or not the way in which potholes are being fixed currently with the, maybe the materials that are used, are they the most cost-effective? Are people, are councils going for cheaper options, but it means the pothole will reappear much quicker? Mm. Or do you go for the more expensive option and get the top grade, but of course, then you might limit how much you can I guess cover what? the machinery as well in terms of use. I mean, a lot of cases, potholes require a crew of blokes out there or women as well to go and like dig up the road in part. Yeah. Fill it in, traffic management, but you know, these but are complicated I guess what I'm things. asking is my um, cabinet minister. Four roads, yeah. Four roads. They will have a set amount of money. I mean, do they literally say, well, I want this road sorted out and that road sorted out? They'll what, get, what are they doing with yeah, their no, time? So they'll get reports. Yeah. So what they should, what should happen is they, so each cabinet member will have a. Uh, That's just uh, the obvious one. The bins are the other yeah, one. Yeah, no, I'm just saying each cabinet member will have a head of that department so a civil servant within the council assigned to them so a director of waste management a director of roads and that their job is to build that relationship and the director because obviously a lot of councillors have to go part-time because you know when i was uh depending on the level of council but stoke-on-trent's a unitary authority so all the responsibilities of a of all levels of councils are under one council stoke-on-trent city council so a councillor there gets around £12,000 a year. So obviously, in a lot of cases, councillors are going to have to also work to supplement their additional income. I think a cabinet member in Stoke gets £25,000 a year. So ultimately, they're going to have to work with... So the director of the department will have lots of other civil servants underneath them, and their job, obviously, yes, will be to compile reports and come back. That council will be lobbied by colleagues from across the chamber, regardless of who politically affiliated they are. And of course, the local residents will be writing in, and they'll have local newspapers on top of them. And so ultimately they will then get a scene setting and then they'll have to decide where they want to prioritize. Mm. So, did, so you, you do as a count, as a cabinet member in a council, you can affect things to a degree, but yeah. it's the, the central limitation though, it sounds like is budget. So yeah, so budget is limitation, but obviously what will happen is you'll get given all these roads and the different levels, but you will be asking them to sign off an order of priority, for example, 
which roads we're going to focus on, what's the timescale for delivery, here's how much it's going to cost. The councillor, who's the cabinet member, signs it off, and then that, that they're held to account on those targets. Hmm. And that, all that stuff's FOIable. So local media can FOI it, local residents can FOI it, and they can see what that decision-making is. And normally cabinet is actually unlike um, government, and obviously we, we've got a great episode coming up with Michael Gove talking about the cabinet in this country, so make sure you're tuning in. Um, a cabinet is normally also a public meeting, which is, like in Stokes' case, they record them and they're up online. So, so anyone can, can go to this meeting? Cabinet, yeah, you, people can watch cabinet meetings in action. Do, 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 do many people go to them? Uh, no. <laughs> it depends. Like it, Normally, if there's like a single issue, so a gymnastics centre, for example, is being moved or there's like a sinkhole uh, in a particular housing estate, everyone will then, like you'll get lots it's of It's a big local issue. Big local issue. But yeah, normally you might just get one or two who are like tune in and, and watch it. But that's again the idea. Like there's that level of transparency. People, if they're ever shocked by what decisions being made, it can be found. So I want to, then you touched on it earlier. Then you've got, much like we do in national government, you have the civil service yeah. and the chief executive of the council. Yeah. So the chief executive, they're normally, um, this is not to criticise them, but they're well remunerated in the sense that, you know, that you can get attracted. It's a highly paid, it's, yeah. It's, you can attract someone with good experience of yeah. knowing how to run a big organisation. Normally sometimes quite senior former civil servants in Whitehall. Is that is that true? Yeah, so that. yeah, there are a lot of senior, former civil senior civil servants in so you've Whitehall. You've got someone with experience of public policy, experience of running stuff. So they're a serious person. Yeah, the guy, the people that normally end up as chief execs, obviously sometimes goes wrong. So where's the balance between the council leader and the chief exec? I think that all comes down to the relationship. Okay, and just and how that leader wants to govern. Some leaders they'll want everything run through them. Some will probably trust their chief executive to have a certain amount of power to sign things off without them checking or knowing in massive detail some it might be that the relationship isn't always great and that probably then means that delivery is slow but it will come down individually to that leader and how they want to work with that chief executive because the chief executive reports to the leader of the council right can the they sack them because there's a lot of government roles where you where the secretary of state can't actually sack someone but essentially, if the Secretary of State and says, the leader can definitely hire, yeah, because the Secretary of State said for lots of roles running in various quangos, you can't sack them. But if they said, "I don't have confidence in you anymore," I'm effectively not working with you. As a chief, as a leader of a council, you'll have this thing called the LGA, the Local Government Association, yes. which is, which um, is non-partisan. Non-partisan. Then each political party will have their own kind of groups as well. So there's the Conservative Local Government Association. Um, I'll get in trouble for getting the correct acronym there. Um, but like, so for the LGA, for example, yes, they'll work very closely with the Department for Leveling Housing Communities, uh, as well as other government departments like health and social care, because social care is a responsibility of um, the big local councils, like a county council or a unitary authority like Stoke-on-Trent, as an example. So, you know, there's discussions to have on. So I'm sure there's ways that, you know, leaders of councils can get in and will regularly actually engage with um, council, with with members of government. I mean you'll be amazed with how many council leaders will have the phone numbers of the front benches of their affiliated political party. Of their so, so that's, that's the next bit I'm kind of interested in. So let's start with MPs. What's your relationship as a member of parliament with your local council or generally? Is that is it an important relationship with local councillors, the council leader, and even in general yep. relationship, I don't know if you have a relationship so, with the chief executive? Because they're delivering the services that I assume, if there's an issue... Dog. They come in, well, also they're coming into your inbox, I guess. Yeah, the casework. So I, I would say 
Um, it comes down to every individual MP and the type of relationship they want. I want a close working relationship because you are correct. And a lot of my casework will be local government related, whether that be the pothole, the hedge cutting, trees, um, roots causing problems with pavements, um, planning applications, the work, you know, the list goes on. So I think it's important to have an open relationship. I know in where I am that I have regular meetings every two months with the leader of the council and the chief executive alongside my other colleagues who are in that elected uh, in the uh, council boundary. Um, well, obviously that meeting is for us to raise things and we'll also have presentations of quite big decision-making that's going on. And of course, the council leader will also say to us, we really need you to go to Westminster and lobby for X. I was going to say, not to reveal private discussions, but will, will council leaders in general say to their MP, you need to go and fight for this for yeah. me? Yeah, so that, and that- council leaders also highlight things. So for example, like the levelling up fund, um, the uh, bus improvement plans. I remember my council leader saying, look, it's great that all these pots of money exist, but that is a lot of officers' time in our council having to draw up these plans, submit them, and be at the quality that they're needed to secure the money. Mm. Like, can we not ask for just one big pot and we do one big application? Or can we not ask for the forms to be smaller and, and simpler because we're drowning under paperwork and we're worried we, we you know, getting meeting deadlines is going to be a challenge. So I think that that's where... You know, we'll go and interact with government. Obviously, there may be certain parts of bids that, you know, our council will want to say, that's the bit we want you to highlight the most. So we'll talk about it in the chamber. We'll talk about Westminster Hall debate. It might be that, for example, I had a debate about looking at the funding formula for highways. I wanted to change the funding formula for roads in this country because at the moment, to bore listeners, <laughs> uh, it's done on the mileage of road within a council area, not on the usage of that road. Right. So Stoke-on-Trent got half a million pounds recently to for their roads. To do that, what with them? To fix them, to repair them, to whatever. Potholes. Potholes. The, uh, the Staffordshire County Council got four and a half million because they are a geographically larger area. But yet Stoke-on-Trentham has the most congested roads in the country. The most used in the area. Some of the most used roads. Yeah, so we obviously, therefore, with that amount of traffic going over it, and especially like lorries, HGVs, like we will need roads fixing in a better state hmm. and the word pothole does come from stoke-on-trent does it the word, well this is what this is what i was told okay. so if anyone gets upset with me i'm sorry but basically what happened is that the uh there was clay in the roads and that clay was dug up in order to be used in the pot banks and then the broken bits of pottery that weren't any good got re- went into the foundations in the road and replaced what the clay were the clay was there pothole is that um, how that sure, isn't that is what I am told. That is what I'm told. Jack Brereton swears by it and he is stokey born and bred, so I'm not here to Cuz there is a um it's also by the way not a thing that we want to boast about. Just no. <laughs> it's not something I want to it's not something I'm like, oh yeah, I'm no. going to make that like I'm going like to put the, that on my leaflet. It's like the claim that oak cakes could have come from Roman times. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which I'm not sure it's true. Tune in next week. <laughs> to find out if that's true. I think the key thing is to understand that you're going to hear all these different types of councils. So again, listeners, you're going to have to be patient. There's these things called unitaries. You're going to hear about counties, boroughs, districts, towns, parishes. These are all different councils with all different responsibilities, with all different levels of financial control. Ultimately, there's a great website on gov.uk that explains it all before I bore everyone to death with what it all means. Is that the best thing to do? I would. I mean, look, because I'm one of the rare, well, I'm the only one in Staffordshire, for example, that um, represents the city of Stoke-on-Trent, which is a unitary authority. But in Kidsgrove, Talk and Newchapel, which is, I have a town council for Kidsgrove, Talk and Newchapel. I have a borough council, which is above that. 
that deals with like your leisure centres and your garden uh, and your recycling and your waste. And then I have a county council, Staffordshire, which deals with the roads. So I'm the only one in Stoke-on-Trent and Staffordshire that has to deal with all those different levels of local councils, which means that I'm constantly having elections because there's different councils have different elections at different times. Some councils for the first time are going all out elections. That means every seat's I should, up. I should know this. Do you have a mayor in your area? No, we had we had a referendum to get rid of our mayor in Stoke on Trent. Were you pro against that? I'm unitary authorities. I think is something to. I think ultimately every area wants to look at, but the powers for local decision makers to be able to influence their local area and the money for those to be able to actually enacted is going to have to follow. So I look at what Ben Houchin's done. I look at what Andy Street's done. I look at like uh, Andy Burnham, who's put Manchester very much on the map and a lot of regeneration uh, in their, in that area as well. I think it's. What else do you think you can look? Whether you think Andy Street or Burnham or Ben has done a good job, it's much easier to look and say, "Well, things are going quite well." But that in my local must, area. Must, must must roughly know what he's doing. I'm going to go vote for again. Or the transport's terrible. You know, Andy's got the trams. Yeah, in a good and place. They, and it's not it's not working very well. He's the guy that's responsible. I've seen him on the TV. I know who he is. And I think that will help Let's engage. And I think that will help get more people engaged if they see a very clear local decision maker with money and powers to be able to do things. And like you say, then hold them accountable. Where I think because of all these different levels of councils, mm. you know, if you're electing in a borough council election, you're voting for a council that's talking about the leisure centres, the planning applications, the green spaces. Then you have the county council election the year after. Now you're having an election on the roads, the jobs, growth and creation. It just must get so confusing about, but like surely you're all the same thing. Yeah. And I think that's why the unitary authority thing is a good way forward. Now there's different ways you can run that, but ultimately, like you say, having one figurehead, one focal point for an area and say, right, you're the champion of X. Mm. We're now going to hold you accountable. And because of your position and the money you have, you're now much more in the media spotlight. We hear about these mayors because of the amount of elected powers and money that they have. And obviously they have a lot of influence over like whether or not government's doing the right thing for their area. And because of that, therefore, that drives more attention to what's going on in that local area. So I think that ultimately that is a destination that will either end up at, I, I hope it will happen organically. I hope there are conversations. But one thing I've certainly learned about local politics uh, is that different areas will have different sensitivities. So, for example, Newcastle to Lyme is very proud of the fact that over 100 years ago, the House of Lords blocked them from joining the Federation of Stoke-on-Trent, the six towns amalgamating to become the one city. So trying to get That's local people over the line to agree in Newcastle and Lyme to also work with someone like Stoke-on-Trent, where they'll say, but Stoke-on-Trent's going to get the person they want because there's 250,000 people living in there. Yeah. That population's bigger. That will influence future elections. Mm. That's where you get the difficulties and the and uh, people obviously proud of their local area and wanting to feel that they have the influence over who will represent them. So final question. Yeah. One, one thing I'm curious of. You've been a councillor, you're now an MP. Yep. It, it's not an uncommon tra career trajectory. I imagine a lot of the people that are applying to be MPs for all parties at the moment are councillors. Yeah. Is it a good training ground? Like, do you do you look back and think, oh, a lot of the stuff I learned being a councillor, because we touched on a little bit of this in episode one, do you look back and think a lot of the things I learned have prepared me well to be an MP, or is it quite a different job? Like I say, because I wasn't really living in the area I was because I was in London doing my teacher training, I don't think I probably benefited from learning as much as I should have done, nor probably did I see how much learning there was to be done. I think councils are a fantastic training ground. You're working with colleagues from different political parties, so you're having to negotiate. You're trying to find common ground. You're trying to find a way through. You have a certain amount of money 
And councillors will have ward budgets in some cases, so they'll actually have a pot of money they can choose how to spend themselves in their local ward and or outside of it if they want to. Whether that be helping a local charity, putting in a grid how, bin. How much would that be? Depends on the local cat. Depends on each council authority. But all that's published at the end. I think Stoke's like five thousand, if I remember correctly, over a financial year. So you know, it's small pots of money, but can make a big difference to particularly very hyper local charities, organisations in local areas. Literally getting a grip bin on a road that's quite steep, and people need to be able to get in and out their drive. That can make a huge difference to local areas. So, you know, that I think that's really important. You're obviously getting across, you're getting papers. So when you have full council meetings, you're devo- voting on a wide variety of things. It may be things that you're not interested in or you have no background in, but you're voting on it. So this is an opportunity to learn how to read briefings from civil servants, how to interrogate them. Where's the opportunity to push for something in your local area? Where's Then you've got the politics internally dealing with colleagues of your same political persuasion, wanting to go up the career ladder, mm. how to work with colleagues, how to build relationships, how to network. And of course, then, that constant interaction with voters, how present are you able to be? And again, I don't bemoan people who want to be counsellors because particularly, I think, for women in a lot of cases, you know, working, childcare, which we know sadly still overwhelmingly lands on a woman more than does a man, and trying to be a counsellor is very challenging to get that balance right. Just as an aside, a lot of the meetings with the council tend to be in the evenings, right? Because people it, are working. It depends. When Stratford-upon-Avon, they met during the day. Oh, really? And I remember kicking off about that, going, how are you ever going to attract women, young professionals, etc.? Because that's either you're asking them to pay for childcare, which is a cost in itself, mm. or you're asking for them to miss a day's work. In my case, I missed a day's work. Obviously, I was training, so I wasn't getting paid at the time. But that's the impact those both know, as a parent, that's all, and evenings are very difficult. As and well. then evenings are difficult as well. So there are some councils, I think, that provide on-site childcare, like okay. in the evening, they'll bring some people in, obviously. But again, this is why councils deserve the shout out and credit for what they do, because they rely on family, friends mm. to make sacrifices in order to accommodate them. And I think that, like you say, an evening meeting, if it's a very contentious issue, you know, if you start at seven, I know council meetings gone on to 10, 11 at night. Yeah. Uh, and then you're back home and you're up for your day's work and your councillor work and your life. So I think that we sometimes give councillors a big shout out. A lot of love to you, councillors. So no matter saying, what political party you are, you're heroes. We're saying go and vote for the heroes. Vote for the, vote for the people who stand up and fight for you day in, day out on the things that you physically see make a difference to your life every single day. And actually, they're the ones that deserve a lot of attention and credit. And I hope people do listen to this and think about what is it their local council, their councillors, their candidates, whoever it might be, what is it they're going to do for my area, for my ward that's going to make my life a little bit easier. And hopefully people will sort of look at it through that lens. So I'll take it from that. You're going to buy every council candidate, regardless of party, an oatcake for breakfast Tuesday morning when they're out campaigning. So uh, we will have, so we're counting overnight in Stoke or Trent. So it'll be, you know, the early hours of Friday morning when we get the result. I will email every successful person, no matter what their political parties, congratulate them. Uh, probably do a handwritten letter as well. I'll try and do it to candidates if I can find out where to send those uh, letters or emails, uh, send those emails to. And uh, uh, yeah, I, you know what? I will, I will, I will sort the week after, I, I will get enough oatcakes in and invite all those elected people in. And actually, look, it's important for me because. I've got things I want to do. They'll have things they want to do. And regardless of party politics, I hopefully I can work with them. That's great. Well, thanks. So that was a bit of a really enlightening episode. I hope I've certainly learned a lot about councils. I think I've probably still got a bit more to learn, but it was really interesting. Thank you, Jonathan. No, thank you. And look, and tune in to the next week because the big beast of 
probably British politics for a long time. Michael Gove is going to be our special guest, so don't miss out on that. That is a fantastic episode. I hope you join us. Thank you for listening to Inside Whitehall with me, Jonathan Gullis. And me, James Starkey. Uh, make sure that you follow and subscribe to the pod. Make sure you leave us a review and a rating, and you know where to go on Twitter at Whitehall Pod UK. Thank you.